Hello, this is Scott Gordon. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hey, this is the biggest suitcase to ever play the game, Mike McKenna. This is Dale Weiss. Hey, this is Riley Cote. Hi, this is Bob Clark. You're listening to... And you're listening to... You're listening to... And you're listening to... You're listening to... You're listening to... Snow the Goalie. The Snow the Goalie. 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 Hi, my name is Ali Vigneault, coach of the Flyers. You're listening to Snow the Goalie. a Monday, Snow the Goalie Radio on 610 ESPN. I'm standing up. I'm standing up for the fans. I'm standing up for Philadelphia Flyers fans who came into the season with high expectations. I'm standing up for the people who have been downtrodden in the greater Delaware Valley, who spent an entire season last year being disappointed by the orange and black. And I'm literally standing in the 610 ESPN radio studio. Feeling deflated. So I'm going to sit back down. Oh, Russell. It has been... Feeling deflated? It has been a week to forget. Come for, on, For now? your team, your town, your Philadelphia Flyers. The orange and black look more black and blue than orange and black. You know what's funny? Go ahead. You know what's really funny? You know, last year when we used to do this on the podcast, you were the eternal optimist when the team was absolute... Ter- absolutely terrible. I was going to okay. say, got to censor the uh, podcast language there, fella. <laughs> and he was, and you know me. I don't ever curse on the podcast. Come on now. That's true. Um, but they were really, really bad. And I would sit there and say, yeah, you know, this team's no good, Russ. They're not going to make the playoffs. And you just kept saying, but Anthony, there's time. They're going to turn this around. And then they would get on a winning streak. And you'd be like, look, Anthony, I told you they're going to make the playoffs. And I kept saying, Russ, they're not going to make the playoffs. I'm going to be a realist here. They're not going to make the playoffs. Now, here we come, a, a year later, a season later, you're standing up for the fans in the studio. You're complaining that they're off to a terrible start. This week has been bad because they lost four games in a row, 0-3-1. And, and I'm going to sit here and tell you things are not as bad as they seem. Good. I'm glad I got you to uh, switch roles with me for the week. That's that's excellent. That doesn't mean it's it, it's not going to you're not going to be right long term. You can remember... My preseason prediction whether the Flyers were going to finish fifth or sixth in this division, and I still think that. I still think that they're going to be a fifth-place team with an outside shot at a playoff spot, and, and I think they've played kind of like that mediocre team so far. But there have been a lot of things that I've liked about the way that the Flyers have played over the first six games, and even though they've lost four in a row and, and uh, you know all three out west and then the game Saturday against Dallas, there were things in those games, Calgary game aside, things in those games – that I looked at and said, you know what? If they keep playing like this, they'll win. They'll win games. And, and, and you keep hearing the coach say it and the players are saying it, and I know that that's, that rings hollow for fans who want victories, who want to see more consistency on offense, but they're not wrong. They're not wrong. And remember, we were talking to JVR um, in the locker room after the game, and it was just you and me just talking to JVR. And I said, you know, he had nine shots in that game against Dallas. He had nine shots the game before um, and the loss against Edmonton. I mean, that's 18 shots in two games. That's a heck of a lot of shots. And he still hasn't scored a goal. And I said to him, I said, you know, you're a veteran guy, right? You look at it and you say, yeah, man, we're getting all these chances. We're just not putting them. We're not finishing. But you know that that's got to, like, 
even out. Like you're, there's the Flyers' five on five shooting percentage right now is like under five percent for the season, which would be a historic number. It would be an it's all time NHL record for the worst shooting percentage ever. If it were to so, extrapolate, over right? The season, but yeah. teams teams on average, you know, are like in a 13 percent range. So that's got it's got to get better. It it has to get better. So if they keep playing the way that they're playing and generating the chances that they're generating, they have to be able to score some goals. And so I look at it and say, until they play consistently bad, like they played against Calgary and like they played last season and the season before or any of the iterations of Dave Hackstall as coach, then then I'll sit there and say, you know what, Russ, you're right. You know, the things are pretty bad right now. But until that happens, yeah, they've lost a few games. I understand the frustration. But at the same time, I've seen enough good good play and good hockey out there to sit there and say, yeah, they still have a shot to fix this. Just to be clear, I'm not saying that they don't have the ability to come back and turn this whole thing around. It's just that as of right now, their inability to finish, to put the biscuit in the basket, has been an issue. And this comes back to a thing that I feel like at this point we've discussed ad nauseum on this show, on, on our iteration of a podcast over the summer, is this team doesn't have the ability... They don't have a score. They don't have a sniper. They don't have a guy who's able to create his own chances and bury and and be somebody that the opposing team has to plan on as being an elite-level scorer. There were guys like that who were on the market this past offseason, but this team opted not to pursue them. This team opted to go and pursue Kevin Hayes, who, to, to his credit, has done a, a, a pretty solid job. He was all right as the, the 1C on this team to start the season. He's been okay. Um, when he was playing on the second line. If the lines from practice today are to be believed, he's going to be now dropped down to the third line, which comes back to an issue that we had raised all offseason, which was if the lineup shakes its way out, and if a young guy like a Joel Farabee who just got called up were to make this team, and if Nolan Patrick were to play some kind of role for this team, at some point you would hope that Kevin Hayes would be your 3C, Right the current iteration of this team, the current version of this team, Kevin Hayes is your 3C. This is not where your money should have been allocated. If this, if if AV was going to decide to put Giroux back at center and Couturier was going to be the 2C and you thought you might have Nolan Patrick playing the 3C, then you didn't spend your money in a in an advantageous manner. Well, see, that's I think what you just said is correct, that you miss they, they might have missed the mark on what they needed to spend their money on in the offseason. They should have gone after a goal scorer Instead, they went after a two-way center who kind of fits into the middle six, right, of your lineup. Um, and but I will say this: making the change that they've made actually looks nice for me. And, and I say that because, as you know, having depth down the middle, having depth at center, is what really dictates success for offensive hockey. Okay, and so to put Giroux back in the middle. And then you have Couturier as your second center and have Hayes as a third center. Like, that's, that's good depth sure. down the middle. Now, they're going to play Giroux between JVR and Voracek. That's not a whole lot of tracking back, is it? There's that's, not, that's not, there's that's not, not a solid two-way line. <laughs> not at all. But You better score. But they'll create a ton of chances. Sure. They'll, they'll really, so especially for a home game when you get to decide when this, you know, the home team gets to decide what line goes out against who. 
it, it'll be advantageous for Vino to look at it and say, okay, here's we've had a stoppage. We have an offensive zone face-off. Who are they putting out? Okay, I'm going to put Giroux out against this group. Oh, wait, they're putting their top offensive line out? Okay, maybe I'll put Couturier's line out instead. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it, it's a situation where when you're at home, you can really make this work. Okay. Yeah. The second line, they reunited Couturier with Lindblom and Konechny. Those guys were great the first handful of games of the season before yeah. they got broken up. So I'd like to see them back together again. You got Hayes centering Scott Lawton on the left and Joel Farabee, the call up, the kid who everybody wants to come play. He's going to get his chance in the lineup tonight, first game uh, of his NHL career against the Vegas Knights. And he's going to play third line right wing. And that's an interesting line to me. It really is because. There's not a lot of creativity on that line, but Farabee will have an opportunity to be protected by two guys who are decent defensive forwards in Hayes and Lawton. So like he can get a little show a little bit of the creativity if he needs to. And, well, then, and and he also gets to step into a job that I think a lot of people were pining for him to get coming out of training camp to be that that third line right wing. Well, here's the thing. And it didn't work out. Well, here's the thing. Ultimately, and this is this is something that nobody's really talking about. But we've know we know that Vorchek has kind of been a little bit in Vigneault's doghouse here to start the season, right? Mm -hmm. He's been the vet that, that Vigneault's you know, benched him for a period, moved him down to the fourth line, moved him to the third line, like didn't, you know, took him off of the top two positions. Um, I think that he's the guy that has to feel the most pressure from Farabee being called up because if Farabee comes in and starts playing really well, which he's a rookie, it, it could be, Feast or famine with this kid, right? I mean, he could be really good and surprise everybody, you know, that he's good right away. Or he could be a rookie and take some time. But if he does come in and, and plays great hockey and he's ready to go, does Joel Farabee sneak up the, the lineup and Jake Voracek sl slide down to that third line? I think that's something that we had brought up over the summer. I, I'm, well, I'm pretty sure that towards the end of training camp this came up because it was if you were going to have a young guy like a Farabee join this team, um, well, it's got to be and top this is nine. Also, this, is, this is also when I think TK was yet to have signed his contract. The right. question was, if a Farabee or a Frost, but preferably a Farabee for playing the wing, and I, I think people still want to see you know Frost at center, um, seeing what, what Farabee could look like, would you be adverse to having him play on a third line if it's not a skilled group? And then could he potentially get his way up to the second line? Or do you make the really crazy jump? This, again, was before TK was signed. Of Do you put him up on the top? line with Couturier and Giroux with the idea that there's plenty of playmaking ability there. You've got the best two-way center on this team in Sean Couturier there to, to kind of cover up and, and allow Farabee to play his game. I think they're in a, in a very awkward position right now as a team because Farabee being put on that third line with Hayes is good because you want to have somebody who's a solid vet, somebody who's not coming off of a cold streak of play or, or somebody who's playing out of form. I think right now it's pretty safe to say that while the point production hasn't necessarily been there for, for Hayes, he's not exactly a guy that you expect to put up 60, 70 points a season. He's only eclipsed 50 points once in his career, and it was last season. Um, Farabee, to me, is a guy who I, I, I just hope this fan base doesn't put too high of expectations on for him to produce too early. Well, you know the fan base is going to put the expectations on him, right? But, but the concern for me is when you, if, if, in fact, and look, it's great if Farabee does well, don't get me wrong, but if it does uh, happen that he plays well and gets moved up in the lineup, all of a sudden you're looking at two huge contract guys in Voracek and Kevin Hayes playing third-line roles. Now, granted, Hayes plays a lot of penalty kill, also plays on some power play. Voracek plays a lot on the power play. So it's not like they're just going to play, you know, 
12 minutes of five on five and you're paying them big money. But at the same time, if you're putting them down on a third line, you're basically saying like, you guys don't have value to us as top six forwards. That's a lot of wasted cash. Well, and I think even the, the counter to that is JVR started the season on the third line. He was a guy that I think a lot of people expected to probably drop down to that third line. Right. And even if, even if things had worked out the way that, that you wanted them as a Flyers fan, that Nolan Patrick ends up playing his way into being the 2C. This, again, is before the migraine diagnosis, but I think people had hoped that Nolan Patrick would take his game to the next level, and then maybe that does push Kevin Hayes down to the 3C. The idea would have been there, and then, oh, my God, you've got all this money tied up in Kevin Hayes, and then also at the same time, you've got money tied up between Hayes and JVR. It, it seems like no matter what, you're going to have probably some combination of these two, two of these three guys on that third line. And you're right. It's a lot of dead cap. And again, I kind of come back to this. This seems like poor planning on the part of the GM, Chuck Fletcher. And this is becoming a narrative in all Philadelphia sports, which we'll get to later tonight from uh, 6 to 7 on Crossing Broadcast. But like, it it feels like it's now Philadelphia's MO to have a poorly constructed roster that might be a little <laughs> bit too top-heavy and doesn't have enough depth and doesn't have enough dangerous game breakers or an in a, or they've displayed an inability to have to draft guys that can come up right away and make an impact. Now hockey's obviously different, um, but it is a shame to to look at this now and realize that you're in a situation where probably two out of your top six paid players could be featured on a, a third line. And it's not because you have young guys that are far out playing them and are, are playing above their heads and, and putting up a massive amount of points per game. It's it's alarming, yeah. right? Well, J, JVR JVR hasn't scored, and he's now going to be on the top line. And I but I think he's played really well. I, and you know I I think that his game so far has been surprisingly good uh, because he's doing a lot of things that he doesn't didn't normally do. Uh, you know, last year, even this final year in Toronto, he's really mostly just a goal scorer uh, in those two seasons. But now he's doing some little things right, and I think he's being rewarded for it by now playing with with Giroux on that top line. There's somebody we got to talk to about all this, Russ, because there's a lot of changes. We got two guys, you know, two new guys coming up to the team, and Faraby and um, uh, Mikhail Vorobiev, Misha Vorobiev has got, also got called up. Bunneman and, and Torinsky were sent down. Uh, Brian Elliott is now going to start tonight and not Carter Hart, which is, I think, a little bit of a surprise for some people. Uh, Chris Stewart stays in the lineup. Tyler Pitlick is a healthy scratch, uh, which I know a lot of people are going to be angry with. Um, but Vegas does have a tough guy in the lineup in Ryan Reeves, so that makes an, uh, makes it interesting as well. But the guy that knows maybe more about this than anyone else on the face of the planet is our friend Bill Meltzer, who now joins us uh, on the phone. Bill, uh, talk, talk to us first. I mean, you were over at the skate this morning. You saw the lineup changes. You saw everything that was going on. Uh, what's your take on on how things are, you know, shaking out at this point? Because to me, the Flyers have played a little bit better than maybe their record kind of indicates. Yeah, and I, and I think that, uh, you know, if you look at the last two games, you know, and coaches always talk about process. I, I really like the process and the, the Edmonton game other than where things fell apart in the second period. I mean, the Flyers pretty much controlled, I would say, 30 of the first 32 minutes of that game. And then, you know, then there was the, the goal by McDavid where he, you know, he beats Braun in, in a foot race and Cart goes for the poke check and he scores. And then you take two, two penalties and they score in both ends of those. And then all of a sudden, a game that's a, a one-goal game, you're out of. You know, and that's, uh, that, that's where that game slipped away. The Dallas game, I mean, it, it was a very strange game because Dallas went 38 minutes with 
two shots on goal. And one of them was a goal. You know? <laughs> one of them was a goal, yeah. You know, and I mean, you're, you're in it all, you know, you're in it most of the night. And, you know, the, the shot differentials really, they're about as lopsided as they could be. But if you look at the quality of shots, I didn't, I didn't really love the Flyers' quality of shots in the Dallas game. I mean, to be, to be very honest, I thought they gave themselves a little too much credit after that game for the quality of chances that they had. Certainly the quantity was there. And, um, you know, I, I looked it up on Natural Stat Trick just to see if the stats that they kept matched up the eye test. And what they had, they had after that game was uh, five high-danger chances for the Flyers and three for Dallas. And I think it was about right. Yeah. You know, you, you had all the you had all the possession. You had you know, you had the play in, in you know in the Dallas end of the ice, but they weren't really doing a ton with it. Yeah, it was um, it was interesting, Bill, because I, I really felt you know watching the game that they were getting shots, but they weren't getting second chances. Like you, you always want to see, yo, go get the shot to the net, and then somebody crashes the net and is there for a rebound, try and jam it in. Like they really weren't getting those second chances, those second opportunities against Dallas. Uh, whereas I thought that they had them against Edmonton. Um, for a time, except like you said, during that stretch in the second period, but they didn't have them against Dallas. And I was like, I think that's where if you're, if you're a frustrated fan and you're watching the game and like, Oh man, if you were just there to get that rebound or, Oh man, if you just would have made that one extra pass instead of shooting it from distance, like there were all those things that you kind of came into your head as you were watching that game. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that plays into why you see all four lines, all all four forward lines are different tonight. You know, If you're if you're really happy with how how the process was the last game, you're not going to make those that significant of changes. They they want to generate some better chances, and that's why they, you know, that's why they shook things up again. I mean, in my estimation. Well, let's talk about those changes, Bill, because uh, Joel Farabee, obviously the uh, highly touted rookie top prospect, uh, gets his first NHL game, gets into the lineup, gets the call up. He he replaces Connor Bunneman. Uh, or Carson Torinsky, however you want to look at it, and uh, Misha Vorobiev right. is the other guy that gets called up. But Farabee, first and foremost, obviously, there's a lot of expectation with him. Um, uh, you know, I'm sitting here telling Russ, you know, we got to, we got, we got to, you know, tamper that down just a little bit. I mean, he's he is a rookie. He's not Sidney Crosby coming into the league, right? I mean, so there's a little right. bit of you got to be a little bit careful. But it's exciting in the sense that um, here's a guy that if if he clicks right away and and can play at this level right away is a guy that maybe can add to that offense and play the style of game that you need to play in order to be successful in this league. I agree. Uh, you know, I, I think he can come right in and hold his own. Honestly, if he, if he was not so good without the puck, he'd probably be, you know, spending half a year to a season with the Phantoms to, to work on that. Um, so even if you know, he's a guy, even if he's not scoring, can contribute in some other ways. Um, I got, he, he showed that in the preseason. He showed that, with the Phantoms as well, because he was playing in, immediately in all game situations, and the, you know, scoring three goals and having assists and having points in all four games, you know, that that's tremendous. But really, if you know, really, what what struck me was how polished he is when he doesn't have the puck, getting in on the forecheck, applying back pressure, not panicking if he has to chip a puck out of the zone if he's got a little, you know, got a got a checker coming in on him. You know, those those are all the things that uh, that they're looking for out of him. He reminds me quite a bit of a of a left-handed shooting version of, of Justin Williams when he was young. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to get a ton of goals out of Farabee, uh, you know, uh, at the NHL level. But he'll sc- he'll score a decent number. He'll be you know he'll be a twenty-something goal guy probably as he as he continues to develop. But he'll be a complete player. He'll be a guy who steps up for you in big situations. But it, at 19, it's a it's an awful lot to expect him to come in and you know change a team's fortunes around. He's not as you said. He's not. He's not a Sidney Crosby. He's not a Pavel Bore who's going to just 
light up the scoreboard. You know, he's just he's a good, solid, all-around hockey player who can come in and, they like said, who can hold his own in some different situations. So, you know, he should help on that front. And Vorobiev, you know, in some ways this is kind of his last chance. Right, I was going to say that. Because, yeah, because Rubsov and Frost are knocking on the door. And, you know, this is his, this is his third call-up under his third different NHL coach. It's funny to say that in such a short period of time, but it's true. And second different general manager. And, you know, he's, he's the guy, the knock, on, the knock on Misha is that no questioning the talent, no questioning even the, the two-way ability. He's a good playmaker. It's the desire, right? often play. Yeah, he does right, the desire. He doesn't play with a lot of engagement a lot of nights. And so far with the Phantoms, he has. You know, he's been, an, he's been a very good player in, in Lehigh Valley this season. I think he's earned the call-up. But the jury's still going to be out. Okay, does that last two games, four games, a month? You know, does, does he do that consistently throughout the season, or does he fall back into the some of the habits that uh, you know that that got him in trouble in the first place? Exactly. That, uh, yeah. So you know, I, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit reluctant to trust a, a player of that nature, where you're, you're kind of wondering what you're going to get on a given night. But you know, but we'll we'll see we'll see what he does. He's playing, you know, playing in the fourth line role to start, and you know, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, certainly moving him up does give you the luxury of being able to move Michael Roffel back to a wing. So, and I, and Roffel, you know, gave it his best shot, but Roffel's really better off as a winger than a center. Yep. And actually also tonight, if, if you want to discuss that also, is that uh, Scott Lawton is moving from wing to center and Giroux's moving back in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get it. We're going to get into that as well. Hey, from your lips to God ears on Joel Farabee being Justin Williams, because if he turns into Justin Williams, then you have a heck of a hockey player for his career. I'll tell oh, you that. Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, Bill, I just wanted to ask, were you surprised at all that Rubsov wasn't the guy to get the call up first before Vorobiev? I wasn't, actually. It's funny. We had a we had a press box discussion about that the other night, and I put Rubsov's name out there. Um, partially because they want Rubsov playing all game situations, which which he has been. He's been killing penalties and playing on the second power play, you know, as, as has Vorobiev. Um, but also, Rubsov still has fewer than 20 games of pro experience, whereas Vorobiev is in his third year as a pro and does have a little bit of time in the NHL. And the other thing they want Rubsov to work on if he's going to play center is they want him to get better on faceoffs. And Vorobiev was actually took a huge jump in his faceoff so far early in the season with the Phantoms, whereas Rubsov is really a work in progress, like around 40% in the American League. So it's kind of hard to have a guy who – Playing in your bottom six where, you know, if he's taking a draw, there's a good chance the other team is going to get possession off of it. So, I honestly, for, the, for those reasons, I, I'm not surprised. Um, I, I don't think it'll be too long for him. And honestly, I don't think it's going to be too long for Morgan Frost either. So, this is really Vorobiev's time to shine. We're talking with Bill Meltzer, who covers the Flyers for a myriad of different organizations. You uh, didn't even do that right. He's the great <laughs> Bill Meltzer. <laughs> well, but he does it for So I just wanted to, I, I forgot to plug him at the beginning. We just jumped right into the conversation. I said to myself, ah, I got to say where he, where he writes for. So people can find him. You can find him on Hockey Buzz uh, on NHL.com and also, for, you know, periodically on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. So, so there you go, Russ. I got the I got the plug in properly. There you go. Well, All right. Uh, let's talk a bit about, uh, Bill, about Claude Giroux getting moved back to center. Um, what does that – See, I have an interpretation of what that means, but I want to hear yours first before I share mine. 
Uh, what do you think that means for the lineup in general? Like for, for everybody else, the fact that they now are moving Drew back to the middle. Well, I mean, honestly, it tells you they're, they're feeling Nolan Patrick's absence. Um, the, the whole, the whole, plan coming into this season I mean, although the Flyers did know about Nolan's situation over the summer but I think the hope was certainly that you know he'd be he'd be ready to start the season or close to that um you know they they really you need three productive lines in in today's game and I thought that although Kevin Hayes was very good in camp and very good I think in the first I'd say the first four games of the season he has not been very good at all in the last two and tonight that he's moved down to the third line tonight, um, and he's actually off the power play as well because uh, Couturier is moving to PP2 and Farabee's in PP1, so at least to start the game, looks like Hayes is off the power play. So that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, I mean, Pena has done that a little bit. He's moved, he's moved JVR down, he's moved Borchek down, but I think, I think they're trying to spread the wealth a little bit here. Certainly they're trying to get, JVR and, and Voracek too, because although we had a three-point game in Edmonton, you know he's pointless in every other game. So they, they want to put their best playmaker with two guys they, they want to get get going a little bit, particularly JVR. And you know we'll see. I mean I, I have some defensive concerns about that line against Vegas, <laughs> particularly with the way that uh, Vegas can really hurt you in transition. You're not alone. Puck over. You're not alone with that concern. So, so you know we'll we'll see we'll see how that works out, but I think that's the reasoning behind it at least. Yeah, I think that I think that it's it, it's it's one of those uh, lines that you can kind of put together and and maybe try and get away with it on home ice because you get the the you know the, the last, last change, change sure. right? So I think you can get away with that a little bit more. Um, but I agree. I think I think that this is moving Giroud to center is more of a message being sent to a couple of these veteran players that like you know what. We don't want to do this, but we have to do this now because you 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 haven't been able to be productive uh, in your previous roles. And so, you know, I look at a I look at a guy like Hayes now going to be on the third line again. Like you said, it's only two bad games, but you know there was a lot of talk coming into this season, Bill, that Kevin Hayes was more of a um, you know good third, really good three C, probably back end two C. Where does he fit? And now let's almost like we're you know six games into the season. All of a sudden, now he's being put into that third line role again. Um, is that indicative of something longer term, or is it just you know what? Let's just try and see if this jump starts him. I think I think for the short term, you just have to say they're looking for combinations that work in the jump start. And now if it if it's something that's ongoing, I mean, you know, I they don't want Claude Giroux at center for the long term. Um, Giroux himself, you know, prefers playing wing at this point of his career. I think. Right. I think that's where he's best suited to play at this point in his career. It'll, so it'll keep him I, would, I would hope that it's a short-term thing. But, uh, you know, I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, you can't, have a, you can't have a football mentality about the hockey schedule where, you know, you make, you make a change in the lineup or you, you drop a couple of games. You're not scoring for, for a little while. It's not a 16-game schedule. You know, 82 games, even, you know, even, a, even, even a stretch of five, six games, you can't read too much into the season as a whole over those little adjustments that get made. I think you look for you look for how things go over a longer sample, and then you know, and that's that's really what you base it off of. I mean, I think so far it's been a real mixed bag for the team, and you know, offensively they're not getting it done. They're not getting enough guys contributing, so they're they're trying something different, and that that for the short range is you know what I think they're doing. Two two more quick things, Bill, before we let you go. Uh, yeah. f- first. Uh, Chris Stewart stays in the lineup. Uh, Tyler Pitlick comes out as a healthy scratch. 
I thought Pitlick has played decent in the short amount of time that he's played. Um, does this uh, surprise you at all, or do you think it's all because of Ryan Reeves? Yeah, it's, it surprises me a little bit. Um, I think Pitlick has played decently as well. Actually, uh, a couple of uh, a couple of nights ago, a couple games ago, the uh, the fourth line struggled. Two thirds of the fourth line struggled, but actually Pitlick was playing fine. So they actually moved him up in the top nine for the rest of that game. Now, two games later, he's a healthy scratch. I, you know, I mean, is Ryan Reeves that much going to make that much of a physical impact on a game? He's going to get enough ice time where where it justifies dressing Stewart just to be a response to him? I don't know. I mean, uh, it doesn't surprise me just because you know, just because Reeves is in the lineup. But yeah, I mean, I I think it's something that if the the Flyers end up a little little short personnel wise tonight, you have to shorten the bench or something to three lines. You know, uh, you have a key penalty to kill because Stewart doesn't doesn't kill penalties, and Pitlick is part of that rotation. So, I mean, there, there are you know there are there are is room to second guess if things don't work out. But you know, but the flip side of that is you know if you're going to dress Stewart, a game against Reeves might be just the game to do it. Yeah, and the other que- the last question I had for you, Brian Elliott, not Carter Hart, starting in goal tonight. Uh, I think Carter's kind of gotten off to a, a little bit of a sluggish start. You think that might be the reason for this, or uh, you think this was planned well out in advance? I, I, I no, I, I think that it's a, I think it's a bit of a response to the last two games. Carter, and I thought Carter was solid in the opener. Obviously, that he was fantastic in the shutout against the Devils, and really good in the game against Vancouver. And I don't know what it was about going back home to Edmonton or whatever. He just never seemed comfortable in the net. You know, there there were two goals in that game I, I, that that he probably would have wanted to have back. I don't think they outright awful goals, but but goals you would you know reasonably expect a save off of. And and one in the Dallas game where, you know, he hardly saw any shots, so you can kind of understand it. But the situation where you needed a you needed a save there, so you know you give Elliott, who's played two career games against Vegas both last year and played pretty well in both of those. So you you give him give him the game tonight, and then. You know, if Hart's going in Chicago, then you're back on rotation. But I do think it, I do think it's a response. I think if Hart had been outstanding in at least one of the last two, he probably would have gone tonight. That's Bill Meltzer. You can follow him on Twitter at Bill Meltzer uh, and see him online at HockeyBuzz, uh, NHL.com, and PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. Bill, thanks for hopping on Snow the Goalie Radio today. Oh, anytime, guys. All right, take it easy. Well, Russ, there you have it. I mean, he basically told you. You know that the same thing that there is some message sending being being done here with with some individual players and and what it means and this is this is a critical time now um, for these individual players uh, to to kind of get their game going because if they don't they're going to bring people in and they uh, Farabee going onto the top power play and we didn't even talk about that um, but he's going to play top power play Kevin Hayes gets knocked off the power play altogether he dropped Couturier down to number power play two and Hayes out altogether I mean that's a message. The guy is now down. He was on the first line for the last couple games. He's now playing third line and no PP anymore. Well, the interesting thing, too, before we throw it to break, which I think we're going to yeah, shortly, yeah. is uh, this is what the difference is between having Elaine Vigneault as your coach, a coach that has clout, a, clo- a coach that has gravitas, to throw to that's a my, word. That's, that's my our, word. Our word of the day. Yeah. Um, you think about it now, and, and if this had been done by a Dave Hackstall, he'd be getting raked over the hot coals on Twitter. Right. And for better or worse, this is where a lot of us end up living uh, before, during and after Flyers games is is interacting with the fans on Twitter. 
this kind of thing would have been absolutely critiqued to no end if Dave Haxtell was your coach or if Scott Gordon was your coach. But now, and I have to admit that even in my own thought process, because of the kind of coach that A.V. is and the kind of success he's had in this league for an extended period of time with multiple teams going to Stanley Cup Finals, I almost find myself just kind of sitting back saying, all right, you know, he's he's always talking about this being a fact-finding mission of sorts. Anytime he juggles the lineup, it's not out of desperation and it's not something where you're just trying to throw something against a wall to see if it sticks. It really is. It's it's trying to figure out what the best duos on this team are. We talked about that a lot. I think we've talked about it on the radio show, but certainly on the podcast before, is coaches liking to look for pairs of players to play together, not so much an entire line. Although in the case of the uh, the second line getting reunited, that was a line that was productive early in the season. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And I think Farabee going up to PP1 to, snu- to uh, start tonight against Vegas it's a good thing, you know. It is. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, Russ, we're going to have former flyer and current Phantoms uh, color analyst Todd Fedorik will be joining us here. The on Fridge. Snow. The Fridge will be joining us here on Snow the Goalie Radio. Uh, so uh, you, you can tune in for that. And then if you want to give us a call, 888-728-9941 is the number. Uh, give us a call and talk flyers with us. With uh, Russ Joy, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo here on Snow the Goalie on 610. ESPN Radio. And we are back on Snow the Goalie Radio on 610 ESPN Philadelphia. Before we move on, we should talk about our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. They're offering $500 risk-free bet to new users. And while that risk-free bet is an amazing deal, it's just the beginning. Of course, last week we talked about their NFL insurance that they have. If your team loses by six points or less, they'll uh, they'll reimburse you if you lose your bet, which is nice. It's, it's awesome out of them. Um, FanDuel Sportsbook has tons of other awesome promos happening all the time. On any given day, you could find odds boosts, bet insurance, special bonuses, and more. Plus, their new cash-out feature makes it easy to take your winnings early. As the game goes on, you get updated offers to cash out your bet before the game ends. So if you have a feeling that your team's about to blow the lead, you can just cash out and take your winnings right there and right then. Anthony, I, I think you have a, uh, a game that you wanted the uh, hockey aficionados to take a look at. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you a game on Tuesday night. Uh, there'll be Toronto at Boston. I, it's a great rivalry. Two really good teams in the NHL. Uh, they've played in the playoffs the last couple of years. Boston coming out on top. Both have gotten off to decent starts this season. However, the Maple Leafs have a game tonight at home against Columbus, who's a team that will grind you. Okay, so they're, they're going to play a hard game against you, even though they're not as talented as they used to be. But they're going to grind you. And then they have to go travel overnight, get to Boston, and play a fresh Bruins team. I'll take the Bruins at home tomorrow night against the Leafs. Wowzers. I was trying to look at a, at a game that uh, I thought people might be interested in. Not, not uh, in any way, shape, or form because of the actual outcome. And that's uh, Dallas and Ottawa, which is going to be... I think it's going to be a rough one, and I I was trying to build a, a bet around it because I saw that there was a uh, there was a boosted odds on um, Tyler Sagan to have a, an assist in the game and for Dallas to win at plus one fifteen, and I was all about it, and I was going to recommend to people that they follow through, but Tyler Sagan lost his house in the uh, the tornado yeah. outside of Dallas, so I'm glad that you found that one because uh, that's a shame. This one it's going to be hard for him to uh, focus on the game tonight. I'm sure that's but, a shame. But on a positive note, if you're uh, looking to place any kind of wagers in Pennsylvania or New Jersey, all you have to do is head on over to FanDuel.com sportsbook to claim your risk-free bet up to $500 with the promo code STG. That's right, like Snow the Goalie. The promo code is STG. Just download the app to bet from anywhere in New Jersey or Pennsylvania. Sign up with the promo code STG and make your bet within the first seven days. If you lose, 
FanDuel Sportsbook will give you a refund in site credit of up to $500. First online wager only. Refund issued as site credit. Site credit expires after 14 days. Go to sportsbook.fanduel.com for full terms. Must be 21 or older and present in New Jersey or Pennsylvania. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now we go to the phones again, Russ. Joining us on the line, former Flyer uh, and also current Phantoms um, color analyst, Todd Fedorik. Fridgie! Fan, fan, how have you been? I've been good, my friend. Thanks for joining us on the program tonight. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we wanted to get you on because, you know, the, the Flyers actually just called a couple of guys up from the Phantoms. Um, uh, most excitedly uh, is Joel Faraby, who, I, you know, the fans are really excited to see him. Um, you, know, you got to watch him play his first uh, handful of games down in the AHL. Tell the fans, what are they going to get in this guy? What are they going to see out of Joel Faraby? Joel Faraby, well, so this kid, uh, just in the couple of games that I had seen him, he obviously stood out. Okay, so that's he was probably down there, which which I agree with. To spend a little time in the minors, experience that process, whatever, however short it may be. This kid has a very very good vision, and he seems to find open ice very quickly, and in unique ways. That's like that's the best way I could I could put it from an offensive perspective, and good hands. He's exciting. He's going to be an exciting player to watch. I'm looking forward to see how he does in his first night playing tonight in the NHL so it's been exciting to watch him play down with the Phantoms yeah you know in the preseason he didn't look out of place Fridge he he, he really looked like he no. be, he really looked like he belonged at this level yeah 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 and I think they I, I think you know what you, you can question this some teams do it some teams don't but they it's I, I think Fletcher made the right call by sending these guys down spending a little time in the minors and you know creating that little Bit of hunger in the young guys. Yeah, and the there's... Guys, I've seen it done a lot, and it, it's good. It's good for, you know, in, in anything you do, I guess. Yeah, and it's not like the AHL is... Put your time in. Yeah, it's not like the AHL is a <laughs> terrible league either, Fridge, right? I mean, I mean, it's oh, it's it's no. really good hockey down there. I mean, this is one step away from the you know what? best you league in the it. world. Yeah, you need the time down there because it is a step up, and, you know, these kids come in high on confidence, and that's what you want, you know what I mean? But then when they get into the game and the hard plays and the heavy sticks and they're playing against men and it's for real and it's for keeps so there is a little bit of an adjustment so the good ones adjust right away though yeah Vorobiev is an interesting guy I mean he's had he's been up and down a couple times now with the team he gets a chance here again uh I guess he was playing some pretty good hockey for the fans he deserve a call back to get a shot to come back up to the NHL again I agree yeah I think uh, he created a, a role for himself there I think he's been developing properly he came down with a good attitude after he spent some time up last year he worked at it and he became the guy in the first five six games the, the main guy to take draws and i don't think I, I don't think i've seen him lose one that's a good skill set to have and that alone in his play in the middle of the ice he's he's, he's a, a shifty little player defensively so he'll, i mean we've seen a little bit of him last year but he'll be exciting to watch too he's playing the right way and a good attitude yeah, I know you're going. You guys get called up, but those are the two guys that I would have picked just from the, the games watching. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one guy I wanted to ask you about, you know, was a guy who I think really was kind of disappointed 
to not start the season with the Flyers because because he finished the season with the Flyers last year um, is Phil Myers. Uh, what have you seen out of him so far with uh, with the Phantoms, and and do you think he's close to getting uh, you know maybe a potential recall, or does he still need a little bit more seasoning? You know what, with defensemen, they always like to take time, and and the story with Phil, it's it's a good story, right? Undrafted, comes in, makes his mark, and just continues to develop. So he got called up. A lot of things changed within the organization. New coaching change, and, and Phil, like they were high on him from the whole organization was high on him, bringing him up, and those changes happen. Sometimes you're one of the players that's the fallout of that. I think that's kind of the case with Phil Myers. Not that he's not good enough to play there, but. When all these things change and you're building a whole new team and a whole new look, the young guys kind of get filtered down and maybe looked older. But Phil Myers is right on the cusp, and he's playing good down here too. He's power playing a quarter, uh, quarter, quarterback on the power play, and then you know just continuously getting better. So, so I think he should be up soon. Yeah, the, you know, and it depends on how the Flyers do. Like I think they had the in camp they were saying this is going to be a fluid lineup and. Young guys, I mean, there's a lot of skill down in, in the minor leagues, and they're hungry players, and they know that there's opportunity for them to take jobs. And I think the Flyers did a good job of creating that within camp, and it spilled over into the start of the season, and you're seeing more players inserted to. And you know what? They said they were going to keep it fluid, and that's what they're doing. Todd, how hard would you say it is for a guy who believes that he should have made the opening day roster to spend the, the start of the season in the AHL and not get down on himself, to continue to play with confidence and, and not get lost in his own head? Is there a way for a young player in that kind of situation like Phil Myers is to try to maintain some high level of play and confidence all, while also trying to, you know, I guess, get good game film there to earn himself a call-up? Well, yeah, I think these players, I mean, they're, they're taught and programmed to play and deal with things a certain way, and when they get to the pro ranks, it might be a little harder and a little you know, not harder, but it's, you're at the pros. It's the best league in the world. So any little thing is going to be overlooked, and you got to learn that, and that's a process. That getting to the NHL is hard. Staying there, leaving, all has to stay there, but that's where management comes in, and the player development guys come in, and the coaching. The coaching really comes in when those players come down because they watch, they see how the player responds to being sent down, what's their attitude like with the adversity of that. It's a whole different dynamic because it happens a lot more with uh, the young players, they're going up and they do, they might do good, but they still might come back down. So it's, it's something that I think you got to tip your hat to the coaching staff, player development staff, and uh, to help those players through that. Cause they, they, they do need that uh, confidence to stay high. One, one guy I wanted to ask you about uh, fridge and, and mostly because it's a role that's kind of near and dear to you is, uh, is Chris Stewart um, now with the flyers, uh, you know, played in his first game the other night, um, now he's he's in the lineup again tonight, and there's a lot of people who question whether there's a role for a guy like Chris Stewart still in the NHL. And I know the game. <laughs> You're going to get a biased opinion. Well, that, I know I'm going to get a biased opinion, but I want you to explain it because I I, I tend to think that there are okay, times. Sure. I think I'll give are, you I'll give you the overall view of why I like Chris Stewart in this role. Go ahead. He, he is a player, and, and you know what? You could hold him back. That element isn't there anymore, and I'm talking about fighting. It's not there and it's relevant. But the willingness for a guy like Chris Stewart to do what he does is the thing that you have to key in on. That willingness, it holds other players accountable. 
You know what I mean? Is there a role for, is there a place for that? I think so. Chris Stewart can play at the end of the day. Does he have that ability to fight as well? Yeah, he can. I like that ability. I think Philly likes that ability. I think the game likes that ability. And that's why he's important because the accountability, when a player is willing to do that for you, the accountability is higher on teams with players like that. That's my beliefs. And that's, you know, I'll I'll go to the grave on that. I I, I, I think those players make players around them more accountable. And, you know, if they're the right guy, and I've heard Chris Stewart's a good guy. You know, he's, he does like to hold players accountable. He likes to be an honest player. And that's, you know what, I'll always go to bat for guys like that. Cause it, it, you know, and you'll never hear about a lot of the stuff that they do because it's, you know, within the locker room and it's, you know, they do a lot to, to help the, the young players and, and that's what you want. You want a guy that's a, a good at that role. And it's, it's silly, man. Of course you want a guy like that. <laughs> Like, let's not forget, we're, it's the Flyers, man. Like, yeah, we want a guy like that. That's right. <laughs> let's build the next version of them, right? That's that's a... It's always going to be there. <laughs> what do you say to the people who believe you that? You got to be able to talk. You got to be on the PK. You got to be able to play a good minutes. You got to be able to skate. And if you can fight and you're a good teammate, that's that's the new kind of role player. What do you say to the people who believe that, that the, the traditional fourth line in the NHL needs to undergo what uh, – a 21st century upgrade to becoming more of a, a skilled line or a line that allows for some of the higher performing young players to come up and get their feet wet in the league playing on that fourth line instead of having somebody like a Chris Stewart who was willing to drop the gloves and to keep their teammates accountable. Like, what do you say to those people? Well, I mean, the coaches and the managers in this league do a very good job of creating what we see on the ice. You bring young players up and you put them on the fourth line. Fourth line guys are not going to get minutes. I think from your top two scoring lines to the third line and the fourth line, third and fourth lines are the same. They're four-checking energy lines. that can They're your penalty killers. They're part of your specialty teams. They're defensively minded. They work extremely hard. They have to. You know what I mean? So putting a young, skilled player into that mix within a, a, the dynamics of a team, I don't think it works. Let them play a lot of minutes in a very good league, the AHL, so they're ready to come up and try some of the things that they know that they're capable of. And some of the veteran players are maybe moving on. You know, bringing those guys in early, I think it ruins the dynamic of the team. Do you think that that's also one of the issues? And what you need to win. Do you think that's also one of the issues, like a, a way that teams inadvertently kind of curb the initial development of a maybe a high draft pick by trying to force them into the NHL too early when maybe they should start their career in the AHL? Like, do you think that's a detrimental thing to those young guys? Oh, I, you know what, man, with these, some of these players, some kids are ready at 18. Some kids aren't ready till 24, but they're playing at 20. It's, it's a maturity thing. It's a development thing. It's, there's so many things that go into the kids that can play at 18 and right out of the league. I mean, when's the last guy we've seen come right out and play? and make an impact at 18. You know, I mean, there's a couple guys that come to mind, but not doesn't happen very often. These guys need time. They need time to become men. You know, they're, they're still kids. So I love the development curve. The NHL has got it down. You know what? They've got it down to science, pretty much. Fridge, I want to take you back now as, as we get to the end of the call. I want, I want to take you back to your, to your playing days. I was, it was funny. I was listening to a um, – a podcast, Spit and Chicklets, uh, on Barstool with uh, Paul Bissonnette and Ryan Whitney. 
And uh, they had one of your former teammates, Mike Richards, uh, on the on the program recently, and he was talking about his yeah. he was talking about his days with the uh, with, with the with the Flyers and, and the fans. And one of the things he was talking about was playing for Hitch. And he says, you know, he liked playing for Hitch. He was one of the guys who actually you know Hitch actually liked and got along with. But he was telling some funny stories about how veteran guys would would chirp at Hitch during a game, and and Hitch would give it right back to him. What was it like playing playing in the Ken Hitchcock era? Oh, Ken, Ken Hitchcock, he was, he was, the thing with Ken Hitchcock is you're going to learn a lot from him as a coach. He, he's going to keep you prepared. You're going to be over-prepared for every game. So that's what you want as a player. You're going to learn a lot about the game, but you have to have thick skin playing under him because he's never satisfied as a coach. So you, uh, there's one thing that guys used to say about playing under Hitch is that you're the first, you're, you're the, what is it, you're the you're angriest first place team in the league. <laughs> most miserable first place team in the league because he, he's never satisfied as a coach. And you, you know what? You, you barely get to finish the job and win the cup at the end of the day. So you, you rarely never have time to relax. So that's what you want to manage. But it is amazing how much he does get into it with players on the ice, though. Yeah. They, he goes back and forth out of them. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got a little bit of fight in him. That's great. That's really great. And one of the things that Richie said, he was telling a funny story. He was like, you know, there was a lot of veterans on the bench who would just go back and forth with Hitch, and Hitch finally would have enough. And like one of his whipping boys was Bronco Radovojevic. And then finally he would just stop fighting with the veterans and turn to Bronco and be like, Bronco, what's going on out there? And Bronco would be like, Coach, I haven't even been on the ice in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> So that's a, that's some good stuff. Um, hey, you know, one other thing that, that Richie brought up, and it reminded me of one of my favorite years, uh, was actually the lockout year when we got to spend an entire year, you and I spent an entire year in the AHL with the Phantoms, and maybe the best year that the AHL's ever had because there was so much NHL talent playing in that year. Do you, I, I'm sure you have some great memories of, of that team and, and that run, but could you, could you just kind of take people back to what that was like playing with so much NHL talent, young NHL talent, mind you, um, in a minor league setting. Oh, I mean, I, I constantly go back to that team, and I was lucky to play on that team. I was in the NHL at the time, and uh, was I still wanted to play, and it was uh, lucky enough. I st- I lived in the area, so uh, to play with the, the young team, and then with the Phantoms, I got the opportunity and we, we ended up winning it all. But that group, especially when Richie and Carter came, they came, you got to remember, they came at the end of the season. Right. So they weren't with us all year, but when they joined us, the confidence of our team, because they were, they were young kids, but they came in and, and started playing and producing and we just set off of it. And that, that's, a, that's we just kind of wrote it into playoffs, through playoffs, and it was a, it, obviously any championship is special. This one was special. It was special because that was the year that Stanley Cup wasn't played for, right? And so if you look at, you know, it's probably out of that era now, but the next few years, that was the All-Stars in the NHL. Right. So, and it was done in Philly. And we it was sold out in Philly. Like, hockey was alive and well in Philly at that time, and that was that was something special to be a part of for sure. John Stevens was the head coach. Craig Berube was there. Man, I remember every single one of those guys, and it's a it's a special moment in my in my career. And when those two kids came in, man, like they're coming from junior, yeah, they stepped in and they were players, man. And Richie was surprisingly um, just adept at leading. 
natural, right? You want to follow a guy like that? He, he, he had that right away. You know, I think they pegged him for it. That's why he's a captain for the Flyers. So he had those those qualities. And Tom, those, you know, some, sometimes leaders, they say leaders are born or developed. I don't know. Richie was just you know, a guy you wanted to follow. So and now he, Oh, I think we lost him. We might. What? Oh, there he is. He's back. back. Okay. Uh, Todd, since it's your first time on the show, this is just a, a thing that we always do, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. You're on a deserted island with a TV <laughs> and one movie to watch, one hockey movie that you have to watch the rest of your life. What is the one movie, the one hockey movie, that Fridge would watch for the rest of his life? Slap shot. Why do you ask that? I, see, Fridge, and I, I tell him this all the time because this is what everybody answers. Although, to be fair, JVR did say Miracle. He said he would watch Miracle, which I'm okay with. Scott Mir- Gordon also said uh, Miracle. Okay. They're the yeah. only two so far. Right. But but Russ is a young guy, okay? He he didn't grow up with the Slapshot generation. For the rest of, for the rest, for the rest of your life, yeah. it's got to be Slapshot. It's got to be Slapshot. You, you, you can't wear it out. You know what Russ likes? You know what Russ likes? Russ is a fan of Goon. Wow! <laughs> wow! I love it, Fridge. You're the best. You know why Fridge is the best? You know why Fridge is the best? We share a birthday. Did you know that, Russ? I didn't know that, but thanks. For that. Yeah. So now you know. When when you, when it's my birthday, you got to send a happy birthday tweet to Todd Fedork as well. All right, I'll I'll make sure I do what? that. <laughs> so yeah, fo- hey guys, follow Fridge on Twitter at Fridge Twenty Nine Fridge. Thanks for coming on the show. Love having you, my friend, and uh, we'll talk to you down the line. All right, guys. See you later. Take it easy. He's a he's a piece of work. He's a character. He is. He always he was. He also he also like everyone else has picked the wrong movie, but it's fine. <laughs> someday, someday we will get the right answer, and the right answer is always Goon. All right, so let's talk about the week ahead for your team, your town, your orange and black. Yeah, they've got tonight's matchup at home against the Vegas Golden Knights. Thursday, they're uh, on. Can, the... can, I, can I say something about tonight's game? By all means, real quick. And you know, it, since we always talk betting, right? You know, we have a great sponsor in FanDuel, and you know, Bob Wankel's here uh, is our big betting guru for when we do crossing broadcast next. Yeah, we'll producer talk, Ryan we'll talk Lennox in the back is giving the thumbs down. Yeah, Good, he, all right. Yeah, exactly. That Flyers game tonight. Vegas is a is one of the best teams in hockey, no doubt. I mean, sure. they're they're a Stanley Cup favorite. Okay, that game against the Flyers tonight with a backup goalie, a bunch of young kids in the lineup. Is even money. Woo! Why? Why? All over the Flyers, right, Bob? All over the Flyers. So I'm just going to say, I, I like the Flyers tonight. Wow. All right. So let's get back to the schedule for the rest of the week. <laughs> Thursday, they're in Chicago looking to win their second game of the year against the Blackhawks. Who yep. They obviously started the season off with a bang in the Global Series. Then they're home on Saturday uh, hosting the Blue Jackets. Before a uh, a back to back, the second half of the back to back is on Sunday against the Islanders. How do you see these next few games playing out for the Flyers? Well, so I think that the the calendar really opens up for them nicely because they're getting going up against a bunch of teams who they can beat. Who you know, I mean, Vegas is a good, really good team, and this is a tough game tonight. But I do like them um, coming off, coming off of that Dallas game, uh, and then they have they have some time before they have to travel to Chicago. I kind of, I kind of, you know, we saw them play well against Chicago. I don't think Chicago's that great of a team. I think they can beat the Blackhawks. Columbus is not a very good team. They're just okay, right? So there's a team that, again, is a beatable team. And then you got back to back with the Islanders, who, again, not off to a great start, whatever. 
Um, so, I, look, I look at these four games and I say, can the Flyers win three out of four? Yeah, I think they can. I think they can. I'm going to say three and one in the next four. It's weird having you be positive after spending an entire season with you being nothing but the, the uh, prototypical Negadelphian. Now you're a Positelphian. I don't know if it fits you that well. <laughs> you want me to go back to being negative? No, it's fine. Okay. So you can save that for uh, your uh, your Phillies takes uh, over on Crossing Broadcasting. Yeah, ne- the next hour I'll be a lot more uh, I'll be a lot more miserable. Um, so really, really quickly, um, I guess we should plug the fact that every Flyers home game, with the exception of tonight, because we're going to be in the studio until seven, seven or so, right. um, might end up making it down there for the post game uh, scrums. But other than that, typically. Every Flyers home game, we do the Press Row Show, which is the only live stream, video, in-game, in uh, intermission, pre-game show live from Press Row of Wells Fargo Center, which you can find over on the Crossing Broad Facebook page, on the Crossing Broad Twitter account, at Crossing Broad, on Anthony's Twitter account, at AntSanPhilly, on my Twitter account, at JoyOnBroad. I think we're also on Twitch, yep. JoyOnBroad as well. So make sure that you go check that out because... I think one of the nice things that we do as we try to give the the all-encompassing access to the fan is not only do we do Snow the Goalie Radio here on 610 ESPN, not only do we sometimes do a second podcast later in the week on the Snow the Goalie feed, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and wherever, wherever, wherever else you get your podcasts. That's a mouthful. Um, I think maybe the, the number one thing is you know, we listen to the fans and we take the, their questions, their comments, their concerns, and, and we often take those down to the locker room and when we pull the players aside we try to lead them uh you know to to the answers that the fans want absolutely so that's it that's it russ so for for i guess you want me to close it out i'll let you close it oh out. okay so for russ i'm anthony you've been listening to snow the goalie radio here on 610 espn stay tuned for crossing broadcast <laughs>